He is a Senior Director of Consumer Education and Advocacy for Experian. Rod Griffin is responsible for Experian's National Consumer Education Program and Outreach. In this episode, Rod shares his journey that led him to his path at Experian and breaks down the difference between the credit reporting bureaus, how credit is different around the world, and resources at Experian you can leverage during COVID-19. Rod serves as an expert spokesperson on consumer issues, particularly credit reporting, credit scoring, and identity theft, and is frequently quoted by national television, print, radio, and online media, including the New York Times, Washington Post, CNBC, MSNBC, and Time Magazine. He has a Fair Credit Reporting Act certification from the Consumer Data Industry Association. Meet the leaders shaping the new era of credit. This is the Vantage Core Podcast. Today, we talk to Rod Griffin, the Senior Director of Consumer Education and Advocacy at Experian. So I'm a Kansas, Missouri guy who later in life moved to Texas. So always lived in the middle of the country. My financial experience was largely my parents arguing about money. They did not like money. I always tell people my mom's perspective was that credit was a gift from God and my dad thought it was a tool of the devil. It was like, really, it's in the middle somewhere, but I didn't learn that for a long time. So I think what a lot of people experience, we didn't talk about money much. We didn't sit down and have chats about budgeting, any of those kinds of things. I think the only thing I learned in school was in sixth grade, and that was how to balance a checkbook. So not a lot of finance there. Ironically, in my family, I work for Experian in the credit reporting side. My brother is in banking and my sister is an accountant. So I don't know how that happened. (laughs) So it's odd. We all went into finance in some way. Went to college at University of Kansas and got a degree in journalism that led to a job as a reporter right out of college at a small community newspaper, as I mentioned, in Norton, Kansas. My first job was to write something called Ask Max. And Max was Maxine Sweet, who was my boss. We created the first blog in our industry. And that later became Ask Experian, which is now part of our URL and part of kind of ingrained in the company. So that's where I started in the interim. We were in corporate communications at the time when I started. We moved through government affairs and the legal department. So I was still doing education and advocacy relationships, but also was the PAC manager when it launched and did the PAC communications and management, the political action committee. And went from government affairs, we moved into HR at one point. Uh, So human resources, still doing education and communication. Then we're in a marketing group. And so kind of touched on some of those things. And now I'm back in corporate communication. So kind of gone full circle. I've told our CEO, I have the best job in the company and love what I do because it's really a passion. And my mandate is to help people better understand what we do and how we bring value to them and the economy. So I get to talk to people every day and answer their questions and help them use what we do, our credit reports especially, uh, but fraud tools and those sorts of things to help them as a tool to have a better financial life. And so it's incredibly rewarding and really all about helping people. It's kind of like the difference between General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler. So they were the big three auto manufacturers in the US. And they all kind of do the same thing, but they do it a little bit differently. That's essentially what's happened with the credit reporting companies. We evolved in part over 100 years, 
Experian claims to be the oldest. Our competitors will claim the same thing. They're wrong. We in the U.S., Experian evolved from an organization called Chilton. And there was a gentleman named Jim Chilton in Dallas at the turn of the 19th into the 20th century, so late 1800s, early 1900s, who went from merchant to merchant in Dallas with a little book and took notes on how their customers paid. And it would be things like, he drinks too much, but his dad will help him cover the expenses so he's a good risk, or that person's great for paying. Things we would never include in a credit report today, but kept notes. And that then grew into filing cabinets and calling on the phone. And in the late 1960s, a person named Cy Ramos, who was the R in TRW, realized that merging credit reporting with computers, which were evolving at the time and just coming into play, would create this automated system that would be very valuable to helping people connect with lenders. And that became TRW. And then in the early 1990s, TRW spun off Experian and we were acquired by a company called CCN Group out of England and became Experian globally. And today we're the largest information services company in the world. Uh, We have operations in almost 40 countries. So kind of the history of Experian in a nutshell. As to why there are three, originally we sort of evolved geographically. So Experian was Southwest and West. Our headquarters are now in Costa Mesa, California. TransUnion started in Chicago and sort of middle of the country. Equifax was in Atlanta in the eastern part of the country. Today, that's not so much the case. I mean, we're really fully national and global and compete across the country. That's kind of the fundamental of where we came from. When it comes to building credit, managing credit, boring is good. You want to be patient, persistent, consistent. There's no real secret. You have to pay your bills on time. You have to keep your credit card balances low. If you're doing those things, eventually you'll get there. In terms of starting out, you have someone add you as an authorized user. If you are a college student, you might have student loans. That'll get you underway in terms of having a credit history. But you don't expect things to be great right away. You'll be able to build good credit over time, but be patient and be consistent and you'll get there and you'll be fine. But it's about making good decisions along the way. And generally good decisions are the boring ones. Experian Boost is now, I would say new, it's a year old now. Uh, And Experian launched a service that lets you add your positive cell phone payments, your positive utility payments to your credit report to help boost your credit score. So if you go to experian.com slash boost, you give us permission to access the bank account you pay your cell phone bill or your cable TV bill or your natural gas bill or your electricity bill through each month. And we will capture that positive payment and put it in the credit report as an account. So you could have multiple accounts. So you could have a cell phone bill reported. You could have a utility, a gas bill reported, an electric bill reported. So you could have three or four different accounts, cable TV bill. And we'll go back up to 24 months to add those positive payments. What we're seeing is that for most people, two out of three people, there's an increase of on average about 13 points. If you have thin files, so going to the whole, how do you build credit the first time? Once you have an account, to just have a few accounts, we're seeing people with what we call thin files have an average increase of about 19 points. So it's fairly significant and it's permission-based and it's free. 
So there's no cost. You're in complete control as a consumer. I've never been done before. And the reason we did it is because cable TV utilities, what we call telecoms and utilities, did not report positive information. They would report negative information potentially as collection accounts, for example, if you didn't pay the bill, but you didn't get credit for doing the right thing and paying on time. And so this gives people an ability to do that. And all of the research we've done says that if a person's paying those bills on time, but have a short history, it's a sign that they're a good credit risk. They just haven't had the opportunity or the access to traditional credit. So it's a way to help people build their credit. Around the world, it's interesting. There are a number of credit bureaus around the world that are negative information only, negative data only. So here we're unique. And in the US, we were unique because we reported both positive and negative information. So it's not what you would sometimes hear the term blacklist. It wasn't meant to say this person's not a good risk. Credit report's really a tool that says and empowers people to show that they're a good risk and so should be able to obtain financial services and use it to their advantage. It's not just a tool to tell lenders that a person shouldn't get a loan. It's really about telling them they can and should be given a loan. Credit reporting systems around the globe are different. So Experian being a UK company, a British company globally, our current US CEO came from England to the United States. And when he moved here, he lost his credit history. We don't transfer credit reports across national boundaries. The reason is that they're all a little different in terms of First, how they match people to their credit histories. You know, we have a social security number, plus we match to name, address, date of birth, and so on. In the UK, one of their key identifiers is the electoral roll. And we don't have anything comparable to that here as an identifier. So it's hard to identify to carry one over to the other because the identifying information doesn't match up. More important the information that can be included in credit reports in other parts of the world is different than in the U.S. In the U.S., your credit report only includes information about debts and debt-related items. So things like bankruptcy, public record, or your credit cards, installment loans, auto loans, mortgage loans, it's all debt-related. In the U.K., you may have bank account information. So it could be savings account or checking account, for example. We don't have that, so it doesn't translate well here. The other thing is that in the U.S., everybody has their own separate credit report. You know, if you get married, you don't lose that report. You still have your own report. Your spouse has their own report. And we don't merge them. In the U.K. and not too distant past, everybody in the same household shared a credit history. They were commingled. So if you had a roommate who didn't pay their bills, it could hurt you in terms of your ability to qualify for credit in the U.K., there was a legal process called disassociation you had to go through to separate them. So that was sort of a barrier. Other countries just outright prohibit sharing information across national boundaries. So that's a long way to say in the U.S., it's different than other parts of the world. And so credit scores are calculated a bit differently as well because the information that they're using can be different. But similar, they still are looking at will you pay your bills as agreed or your debts as agreed. If a person moves from one country to another, how could we capture that credit history and share it, even if it's not blended with the new nation, if you will? So I don't think it would happen in the near term. It's something that's being looked at. There are companies that do that sort of as some startups, but it's not really a direct transfer per se. I think it's going to be difficult for quite a long time because of privacy concerns 
because of legal barriers and boundaries for all good reasons, differences in systems uh, and economic systems. So probably not in the near term, although I think that's something we're working toward. We have a COVID-19 resource center on our website at experian.com. We are live on video and other social media channels four days a week and probably soon five days a week. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I'm on Periscope twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're on Twitter on Wednesdays. I'm on Facebook Live and Crowdcast on Fridays. Just to connect with people, to give them a resource to come ask us questions, to get help, and be able to get the information they need. We're also very active in producing content on our website through our advice and education tools. So very active in helping people understand what they need to know, one, from my role. We also, as an industry, put in place immediately and early in the COVID-19 crisis, the ability to have accounts reported as in forbearance or deferment and show that they're affected by a natural disaster so that their credit histories are protected. We have a natural disaster or declared disaster code that adds a statement if a lender reports that to tell others that they are affected as a result. So we've taken a lot of steps to make sure that a person's credit report and their credit history is protected and that they won't be adversely affected coming out of this. So we announced that you can get your credit report free once a week from annualcreditreport.com. So there's no reason you shouldn't get your report, know it's there and be up to date. It's free once a week now for the next year. So we're able to help with that. So it's how do I get my report? How do I know what's being affected? What do I look for in terms of knowing that things are reported as they should be? How do I get help? You know, all of those kinds of questions. So how do you dispute information? And we're trying to make sure we answer those questions as fast as we can. First, check your identifying information. You'll see your name, your address, your previous addresses, your social security number. You might also see variations in your name or address or social. Those are not mistakes. That's a common misunderstanding. We list every variation that's reported to us by your lenders or others, because it could be an indicator of fraud. Probably isn't. But if you see a name you don't recognize or an address you don't know that's not associated with an account you have, it could be an indicator of fraud. So we're going to list all of those things. Usually it's a typo or a person may apply for credit using different name variations. So Robert Smith could reply as Robert Smith, but also Bob Smith. So you would see both of those names, for example. So we list all that information, make sure that all looks right. You'll see your account information. So what kinds of accounts do you have? Do you have credit cards, which you see as revolving accounts? Do you have installment loans, mortgage loans, retail loans, car loans? You'll see all of that information. Make sure that they're reported accurately and that if there's anything you need to dispute that you do so. So you'll see dispute instructions. And when you get your report online from us, you just click the button that says dispute that's with the account. Really simple to do. And then follow the process. You'll see your balance, account balances it's reported to us. Most important, you'll see the payment history. Am I paying on time or am I late? That's going to be the most important issue. And then you'll see inquiries. So who's looked at your report? You'll see two types that's important to understand. We'll see what we call hard inquiries, which are your application for credit. You usually don't see very many of those. People just aren't applying for whole lots of credit all the time. You'll also see soft inquiries, which are things like getting your own report or reports for employment purposes or insurance or pre-approved credit offers. And I see a lot of those. Only you see them. They don't affect scores. 
but we list them so you see everyone who's looked at that report. So it's there. Uh, and you'll see dispute instructions. That's what's going to be in a report. Really pretty straightforward. Um, bankruptcy public records, maybe. We hope not because you don't see that if you've declared bankruptcy. Things get back up to speed fairly quickly. I don't think we'll see a, much impact. I think the important thing is that as we come out of this crisis, that the credit histories are accurate, that they're there to help people get back on their feet. We want to make sure that the credit reporting system enables lenders to continue to make sound risk-based decisions. So they're making sure that they are lending to people who can repay those debts. We want to make sure that people are able to access those financial services. We don't want to be a barrier. We want to make sure that people who are able to repay their debts are able to connect with lenders and others to get those resources, which means we'll be able to get back on our feet financially and economically much faster. If the credit reporting system doesn't provide that information and it's not predictive, it's going to slow down and serve as a barrier, not a benefit to people. So we want to make sure that we maintain information. Uh, What we've tried to do through the services we provide is essentially freeze things where they were when this started so that a person is able to start back up again right away. So things like forbearance and deferment ensure that a person's credit history will not have new negative information reported if those accounts are reported in forbearance or deferment until that period ends. So their history is, in terms of negative information, essentially locked in, if you will. For people who are still working and still earning income, we want to make sure that that credit report's still there, still being updated, so that as we come through this, they can continue to move on and continue to operate financially as they did before. So uh, it's a balance that we have to achieve. Mortgages, you know, we've actually seen good payment history. I think what's going to be interesting as we come through COVID-19 is how everyone responds. From a credit reporting standpoint, coming into this, the mortgage market was strong and was continuing to show that it was strong, as was the, most of the rest of the economy. So it's really, I think, hard to say what's going to happen coming out. My grandpa said, always buy the best you can afford. And his point wasn't to buy the best, no matter what it costs. It was looking at your financial situation, buy the best that your financial situation will allow you to, because by doing so, you get better quality. So you get the best quality you can, because it will typically last longer, whatever it is, which lets you save more over time, so that you can then later afford something even better. Tips. Knowing needs versus wants. We all really have very few needs, and most of us have a whole lot of wants. So understand what a real need is. And I think now, as we go through the COVID-19 crisis, that really has maybe more meaning than it ever has before, because what do we really need right now in all aspects of life? Understand needs versus wants. Practice delayed gratification. Walk away. Come back the next day or two days later. See if you still want it. And usually you don't. I have to tell you this. Get your credit report and know what's in it. That's a responsibility for me in my role, I think. But also really important financially. You need to know what's in your credit report use it as a financial tool. It shouldn't be a financial barrier. 
The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Vantage Core Solutions. This podcast is brought to you by Vantage Core Solutions, a higher level of confidence. Thanks for listening.